Welcome to Animals in Europe, a podcast presented by Eurogroup for Animals, the animal advocacy organization uniting members across Europe and beyond. Join us as we discuss current affairs affecting animals along with expert special guests. My name is Reineke Hameliers and I'm the CEO of Eurogroup for Animals. Today we are talking to Steve McIver, CEO of World Animal Protection, about the urgent need to tackle the wildlife trade in order to not only protect animals, but also the environment and human health. As you will know, the pandemic has put a painful spotlight on the risks linked to the way we deal with wild animals, as COVID-19 has most likely originated from wild animals. Nevertheless, change has been slow. And this is why World Animal Protection has just launched its new campaign strategy to end the exploitation of wildlife. Steve has a very clear message to global leaders. We need to see the EU really taking a huge step forward and stop playing around the margins of this uh, this issue. We're facing a a serious um, fundamental crisis here. Good morning, Steve. How are you today? Good morning, Reinecke. I am very well, thank you. Sat in reasonably sunny uh, Italy, uh, so enjoying the autumn as it uh, unfolds. Wow, good for you. Good for you. And uh, we are so happy to have you on um, the podcast talking about wildlife uh, protection. But before we will zoom in on that topic, I would like to hear a bit more about your background as animal advocate and how you came to lead World Animal Protection. Well, uh, that's a long story. The story <laughs> starts a long short. time ago, Reinecke. Um, I've been involved for a long time now. Uh, You're not but, that uh, old. Come on. <laughs> well, we'll, well, we'll discuss that another time. Another but, time. Uh, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I, but the trigger, the trigger for me was uh, actually when I was... I don't know, about 11 or 12 you know, years old and um, uh, I guess was sensitised to um, issues of um, uh, injustice, really, and um, uh, concerned and reading about, uh, watching on television, uh, things about famines and the effect, obviously, on of, of poverty on, <clears throat> on people, particularly in Africa at that time. Um, uh, and then the animal, the animal side really emerged through the reading of a book, uh, Tarka the Otter, which uh, opened my eyes to, I guess, looking at the world through the eyes of an animal instead of the sort of human centric view. Uh, also alerted to me to otter hunting, extraordinarily um, <laughs> barbaric and archaic practice, uh, now outlawed, thankfully. Um, and it, it sort of grew from 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 there. Um, and at university, I became involved in a variety of uh, organisations. I was a, a hunt sab. Luckily, I could run very fast. Although I used to find horses were just that bit quicker. Um, and uh, also involved in you know street campaigning, if you like, lots of lots of protests and various uh, issues. Um, uh, you know, around uh, animals, uh, and I was lucky to follow a path. You know, I, I was employed by um, BUAV. It's now called Choose Cruelty Free International, um, and in fact, uh, that was my first job as a campaigns director. And 
the campaign, my first campaign that I created was Choose Cruelty Free, uh, which uh, was the campaign that pulled together groups from around Europe to successfully put in place the amendments to the cosmetics directive to ban cosmetic testing on animals. So that was, that was, uh, I guess, a great legacy of which I'm proud. And you can imagine I found it quite funny years later to see the organisation actually rename itself uh, after the campaign that um, that I worked on with people like Chris Fisher, who was uh, the chair of the board at the time and, and others. Um, so I followed that path. Reinecke, uh left, uh, went to the commercial sector, worked for the Body Shop International for 12 years, I think it was, um, leading their campaigning work and their communications um, was executive, one of the executive directors there. Um, and then I came back, I chose to come back to the sector um, and of course set up the food business uh, uh, team and program for Compassionate World Farming, uh, the business benchmark for animal welfare uh, with uh, Nikki and Rory and the team uh, over there. So yeah, uh, and eventually uh, washed up on the shores of World Animal Protection, which is uh, where I am now. That is a, a fascinating uh, career. And I can't resist to ask you, Steve, but has the world improved for animals, you think? <laughs> mm, I, I think that um, awareness of um, the issues that we care about, the awareness of the plight of animals in industrial farms, um, uh, in the wild, uh, etc., you know, the many ways in which animals suffer. I think awareness has increased. Um, I think if you look at the, the um, some of the innovation that's coming in, uh, particularly the innovation around, uh, for instance, you know, uh, cell-based meat alternatives and the use of technology uh, that could help animals is improving. Um, but honestly, I think it's a tougher place for animals today than it that it than it was in my view uh, sort of 30, 40 years ago, uh, despite legislation because of the growth of uh, industrial farming, because of the, um, the impacts of um, human incursions into um, uh, natural habitats uh, for animals. And of course the, the huge impact that we've had on animals. Yeah, it's quite paradoxical, isn't it? Uh, because it is. Um, the pandemic has also put a very painful spotlight on the way we deal uh, with animals. And this is why World Animal Protection has stepped up its work on ending the exploitation of wildlife uh, trade, which has been a big issue, but which is also related uh, to the alleged origins of, of, of the pandemic. Um, Steve, can you can you tell us a bit about the issues uh, we are facing with wildlife trade? Yes, certainly. Um, and I know there's there's obviously debate about the origins of um, uh, of COVID nineteen. You know, did it come out of a wet market in Wuhan or a, a lab? Um, well, the indications are it's most likely to have come out of a, a wet market. But regardless of that. What we do know is that COVID-19, um, you know, the, the, the original source of it will be in wild animals. Um, and one way or the other, it's passed across that uh, that, that sort of chain, uh, across the barrier into human beings. Um, but we also know that COVID is um, 
just one example of um, zoonotic diseases that, of course, pass from humans to animals. And it's now that the majority of um, uh, such diseases that can have a profound effect on human populations um, sits in that space. They exist in, in animals, in, in the wild. And of course, the more we interface uh, with uh, animals and the more we move into their territory, the more uh, risk that we expose uh, people to. And of course, industrial farming is a, another example of where we create the, the environment in which um, uh, zoonotic diseases can thrive. So um, yes, the world is sitting up and paying attention for now. What we need to see urgently is uh, intergovernmental, governmental and intergovernmental action, though, in this period, in this window in time, to um, you know, uh, protect um, uh, human populations from um, such risks. Um, and of course, the way we do that is by putting in much greater protection for animals. And wildlife trade, as you say, is, is critical uh, to that. Um, uh, you know, we have seen over the last 50 years an enormous depletion in um, species uh, of uh, wildlife, um, you know, with estimates suggesting that up to two thirds um, of species may have um, been eradicated. And if you obviously cut across from animals into plants as well, it's an enormous uh, number. Um, and um, we're certainly looking at the, the pace of that change um, and that impact continuing. So we need to tra tackle the wildlife trade. Uh, what does that mean? It means that we um, have to um, stop uh, using animals um, in the exotic pet industry. Um, we have to um, stop the use of wild animals in the entertainment industry. SeaWorld is the example that people often look to when we look at the uh, orcas uh, that are being used in uh, SeaWorld entertainment centres, but of course dolphins, uh, lions, tigers, you know, orangutans, all sorts of you know, wild species are used either for you know, um, walking or photographic experiences or just for shows. Um, the uh, traditional Asian uh, medicines market, of course, also uses uh, wild animals in significant uh, numbers, the, the animals themselves or their parts. Um, so the, the, the demand that comes from those different industries um, is, um, is enormous and of course uh, means that the, you know, just the illegal uh, wildlife trade is right up there in the top three, four um, uh, trades, uh, trafficking of, um, of drugs and, and, and uh, weaponry is right up there with with wild species, of course. So, it, it's uh, this an is a challenge. booming business, and it, it and it has been for such a long uh, uh, time. Despite uh, global leaders also knowing that it's posing huge uh, risks, not only for the animals but also for animal and, and public health. And nevertheless, Steve, there is so much focus on illegal wildlife trade and not. Mm. On the entire trade, uh, how come you think? Well, I, I think that um, there's a couple of issues in there. I mean, number one, that the legal wildlife trade is worth billions of dollars. So it's like any industry. Um, when you try to tackle an industry that's worth an awful lot of money, um, you know, people are reluctant to do so. Um, 
And I think, you know, also because we look at, um, at things from a, a sort of a, a human-centric point of view, I we are concerned with the extinction of species rather than the plight of individual animals, you know. Um, there's been a, most focus has been placed on, um, you know, the sustainable use of, of animals, um, you know, on uh, trying to protect um, uh, species rather than uh, individuals. Um, so, you know, there's been this separation between uh, a sustainable use, a legal trade, uh, and then this uh, illegal trafficking um, of species that may be more vulnerable or, or at severe risk. And we split those out from each other. Um, while that's understandable, you know, on one level, um, I think it, um, it fails to address the fact that uh, all wild animals have a, a right to um, uh, you know, live their lives and to exist in the wild. And we have a responsibility to protect uh, their, um, their habitat. Um, and of course, by allowing a legal trade, um, and certainly the scale of legal trade that we allow, it's, it's clear um, and evidenced that um, the illegal trade uh, hides you know, behind it um, and is able to continue to flourish. Um, the only way to really stop that is to put in much tighter regulation uh, or, of course, to, to ban both legal and illegal trade. Hmm. And we will come to the solutions uh, in, in a bit. Um, I would also like to, to ask you how are... Um, the wildlife issues related to the way we farm and feed uh, animals, because that seems like, you know, a very far-fetched relation, but it's not, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, It's hard to make those connections, uh, I think, for most people. But of course, uh, as you say, industrial farming and intensive farming that takes place today, that's grown massively over the last 50 years, 60 years, um, relies on you know, producing um, huge numbers of, um, of animals. I mean, just you know, uh, land-based terrestrial uh, industry is something between 70 to 80 billion uh, farm animals um, every year. And of course, they have to be fed and they are fed um, uh, you know, grain, um, which has to be grown in huge monoculture, you know, sort of uh, crop uh, crops uh, around the world, uh, and to grow that um, that feed, um, we are seeing the destruction of um, forests. Uh, in fact, it's the production of grain for industrial farming is the biggest cause of um, uh, deforestation in the world. So when we look at the Amazon, you know, we look at the Pantanal, we look at these wonderful, pristine um, and important areas of, of our planet, they are being destroyed um, to get cheap grain to feed to industrial farms. So we have to break that, that cycle. In that uh, respect, it's good to note that the European Parliament has just adopted an incredible, ambitious report calling on the Commission uh, to really move away from that cheap meat uh, model, um, which will then also benefit, uh, of course, the habitats of, of wild animals. Um, and they also made reference to this. So I think that's, that's, that's really good. Steve, um, we already 
touched a bit upon uh, solutions. Now, World Animal Protection has just launched its new um, strategy. Can, can you share with us, where do you see the main actions that should be taken to tackle um, the wildlife trade? And have you experienced uh, the application of measures that uh, have proved to be effective? Yes, certainly we've got a, a, a new strategy in place um, and uh, that's really looking at systemic uh, change, um, both in the farming uh, area, the sort of food systems uh, and also wildlife, um, Reinecke, as you, as you say. Um, but in terms of very practical, tangible actions um, that need to be taken and, and taken soon, certainly on wildlife trade, you know, we need to see an end to... Um, uh, the use of animals in entertainment uh, venues. I even hate calling them entertainment venues, um, but you know, dolphinariums uh, and uh, the like. Um, uh, we, we need to um, stop licensing these places, and um, uh, of course, they can carry on with other forms of ent entertainment, but not at the cost of, uh, of wild animals. Uh, a couple of years ago, before the COVID lockdowns, you know, I was out uh, in, in Thailand and, of course, there you see um, elephants being used for uh, riding and um, uh, elephant bathing experiences. Um, uh, you go into entertainment parks and you see orangutans, you know, pretending to be, you know, rock bands and in boxing arenas. Uh, you know, you see dolphins uh, performing, um, you know, artificial tricks um, that uh, are harmful. We need to take action to shut those. But it's still very normal in these countries, right? It's, it's, it is normal. And the tourism that used to come from, you know, Europe um, to sustain those sorts of venues actually has shifted because awareness has grown and people from Europe uh, and to some extent from North America are, are avoiding those venues. The tourists are coming in from Asia, particularly China, uh, by the coach load to go on elephant rides and the like. So it shows that our job, you know, Reinecke, is not just, it isn't just about a country or even a, a, a region uh, like Europe, however important that is. It is about global action uh, needing to be taken and, and global awareness having to grow. Um, so closing places like that down, um, I think putting in, um, you know, again, restrictions on um, the use of, of uh, animals, animal parts uh, for things like the traditional Chinese or tra traditional Asian medicine market um, are very important. The vast majority, something like 85%, 86% of uh, traditional Asian medicine is plant-based. So let's go to 100%. Um, and of course, um, the exotic pet trade, it's important that we address uh, that. And where it is being addressed um, and where tighter restrictions are being put in place or, or, or entertainment uh, venues are moving away or, or firms like Booking.com and others uh, are stopping the sale of um, uh, trips to these sorts of, of venues, we're seeing change um, and uh, a positive change that's benefiting uh, wild animals. And Steve, in the beginning of our chat, you said we need much better regulation to solve these issues. Now you're also referring um, to uh, working with corporates and, and education. Um, what do you think um, will be most effective in the end? <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, I, I, I always hate that question because uh, uh, who, who, who knows the answer? I think... Um, 
uh, I do think ultimately, of course, you do have to have um, you know, policy change. You do have to um, get uh, governments to agree, especially with global issues, of course, like climate change is a good example. You know, the UK can, you know, um, blow its trumpet about how post-Brexit, you know, it's doing some you know, significant things on climate change or uh, on issues relating to animal welfare. Um, but of course, it's on its own, it's going to have a very marginal impact. So we really need to see governments, um, governments like the governments that make up the G20, of course, um, setting out a position um, to um, bring in um, policy change, enforcement mechanisms, you know, legislation, you know, and, and the rest of it that will um, stop um, uh, investment in industrial farming industry, uh, which is leading to deforestation and wildlife uh, destruction, um, uh, of course, to restricting the wildlife trade, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So education matters, yes, but... <laughs> But we really need international action by governments and by corporates um, uh, rather than wait too long. Yeah, no, we have no time uh, to wait. And, you know, some um, politicians are saying, yeah, but we have, you know, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species Societies. And that should, you know, help us to tackle these issues. Um, why is this not sufficient, Steve? Well, you know, 20 years ago, um, uh, I was, uh, maybe 25 years ago, I can't remember now, I was uh, at, the, at the body shop, as I mentioned earlier, and I was working on uh, a campaign then that was focused on uh, CITES, on the Convention on International Trade. Um, it, the, the CITES conference was due to take place in, in Florida. Um, we had, uh, you know, significant people attending that event and the body shop was hosting a, a, a big you know petition presentation and, and what have you uh, we had the secretary of state for the interior for the u.s government uh, attending uh, as well uh, what was our theme brian Aker? our theme was enforcement our theme was enforcement and that's that that is the problem you know you can put in place these sorts of uh, rules and conventions and policies but if you do not have enforcement if you do not have the resources and if you do not commit those resources particularly in source countries then you know then this thing is not going to work and that that's the problem um, and you know for all the good that CITES has brought over the last 45 years since it was um, certainly put in place you know, it has not stopped. Um, it has not stopped extinctions. It, it has not stopped the journey towards, you know, a planet with um, millions of fewer species and animals on it. Oh, and also lots of species are not listed yes. by CITES. And yes. yeah, they are also um, being harmed or causing uh, threats. So, um, uh, Steve, in the EU, we are campaigning to introduce positive lists for the trading keeping and selling of animals, uh, which would automatically ban the trade uh, in many species. Uh, what do you think of this approach? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I've seen that it's been used, um, I think, in Belgium uh, previously, possibly the Netherlands. Um, uh, and certainly it's been looked at, I know, by other uh, governments. Uh, and 
I was led to believe that the Canadian government are looking at it at the moment, that sort of approach. Um, you know, you've, you've got to say measures like that, uh, you know, would be very welcome. They would bring a significant um, reduction in the numbers of species that are being uh, you know, uh, traded and being allowed for the exotic pet trade. Um, it would get us away from these endless and ever-changing uh, negative lists, which of course only change one way, which is to increase. Talking um, about enforcement. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and, and the enforcement issue. So I can see, I can see the, the merit in it. I can see the focus. Um, I, you know, my hesitation around it, however, is that, um, as I referred to earlier, you know, uh, I, I am more concerned about the experience for individual animals uh, rather than necessarily just species. So, you know, every African, you know, uh, uh, you know or zebra finch or, or, or grey parrot or, you know, uh, whatever may still be allowed is is going to have a, a life that is... Um, is seriously compromised um, there will always be people who will find ways to exploit um, any sort of scheme to allow uh, uh, an illegal trade to exist as well um, and of course um, you know we, we really need to put more separation between uh, wild animals and farm animals uh, and people if we're going to tackle um, the potential threats of um, zoonotic diseases so there are lots of reasons why we need to go further in my view and we would like to see a total ban on the legal and illegal trade but you know if we were to get positive lists um, put in more widely it would certainly be a significant step in that direction yeah and in the end uh, the big question is what animals will be on the positive list yes oh, and according um, uh, to you uh, there shouldn't be many um so um and you know we also discussed steve that change is slow and that it seems that global leaders are sort of tiptoeing uh, around this problem um where do you see the political opportunities for change and and how does that link to your new strategy yeah i think um you know right now uh, as you touched on earlier we, we're very focused on um, the G20, obviously, um, these economies are responsible for something like 70 to 80 percent of, um, uh, of, of, of you know, trade, of you know, money. Um, uh, they have huge influence around the world um, and we want them to come out you know, with, a, with clear statements and commitments to um, address uh, the wildlife trade, both from a sort of one health point of view, that interrelationship between humans and animals, which we touched on earlier, um, but but also um, you know to, uh, to to move further uh, and uh, you know to recognise that we cannot have, for instance, a a, a, a more biodiverse world um, if we continue to allow industrial farming and the subsidisation of industrial farming at scale, um, and and if we ignore um, the, the plight of, of wild animals. So we want the G20 to really uh, take that step. Obviously, Italy are hosting uh, that meeting uh, very shortly. And the good news on that is the Italian government have already agreed a ban uh, on uh, wildlife uh, trade um, uh, within this country. Um, uh, and that's a great 
template, I think, for others, and, and very much that link to pandemics is, is at the heart of that. The EU action plan on wildlife uh, traffic, of course, is also important. And, and I think, again, we, we need to see the EU uh, really taking a huge step forward uh, and stop playing around the margins of this, uh, of this issue. We're facing a, a serious um, fundamental crisis here. Uh, and of course, the discussions that have been taking place around um, uh, biodiversity, of course, a conference on biodiversity in China, uh, which was uh, about a week ago, I think now, uh, and the climate change discussions in Glasgow at the end of uh, the month are also incredibly uh, significant. We need to get animals at the centre uh, of these discussions rather than on the margins, which is uh, usually where they are. Absolutely. And how is international trade um, feeding into uh, the problems we discussed, uh, Steve? Because we are still living in a world where free trade you know, it's, it's, it's very important and countries are forging lots of bilateral trade agreements um, and uh, the trade in wild animals is being fueled by these agreements. How could we change this? It is, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting. On the one hand, you know, we have governments um, very often talking up their green credentials, um, talking about putting sustainability at the heart of... Uh, you know, policies and purchasing and, uh, of course, trade. Uh, and then when the trade deals are, are done, um, uh, we see that um, uh, the sustainability uh, aspect tends to sort of drop to the bottom of the list yet again. Um, uh, and that's hugely disappointing. And I think we have to both see um, a genuine commitment to um uh, you know, reflecting more than just sort of economic value um, uh, in in trade deals, um, uh, and and a real balancing of um, uh, those wider interests, um, which of course um, include uh, you know the protection of of animals uh, when we're having these sorts of trade discussions, be that farming or, or be that uh, wildlife or protection of the environment. Um, so, you know, I, I take some positivity, I guess there's some positivity in uh, the sort of Brussels, um, uh, you know, effect, as it's called, um, you know, where EU trade agreements uh, may be put in place. And, and uh, we've seen things like humane slaughter rules um, being a part of that when it comes to discussions with countries like Brazil, for instance, um, and, and therefore some improvements in conditions in um, other markets uh, but we, we need to see a whole lot more of that and, and it needs to uh, again step up to another level. Yeah for sure for sure and when I listen to you um, I'm also um, having this sense of optimism because there are so many political opportunities happening or coming up very soon. So to finish on this um, optimistic note, Steve, what is your message to global leaders? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You, at the start, you asked me how I felt on balance and it was more negative than positive, I think. <laughs> but I, I tend to take the view as campaigners. We have to be also optimists. We have to be, we are idealists, yes. Um, we have to believe that we can, you know, change the world and that's what we do every day and i still believe that i, I still believe that there's opportunity for us um, i think that um, the case um, for 
um, animal you know protection um, is just so compelling on so many levels you know it, it's so compelling when it comes to the protection of those animals and the sentience of individual animals and, and you know that's an, it's still an emerging issue but very important it's compelling when it comes to that interrelationship between animals and humans when it comes to our environments you know we talk about biodiversity um, and the protection of of animals and the protection of the habitats is is linked to the protection of people and planet and, and you know reducing the impact of climate change it's it's fundamental to the protection of um, human health i mean covid has given us the evidence for that but if you didn't need that then just look at mers and sars and hiv and avian you know flu all of which uh, are rooted in industrial farms or wild animals we have to have a you know one health approach there that um, looks after the interests of animals and, and, and people. So our call is to is to, to, to take seriously this you know interrelationship between animals, people, and planet, um, and you know through the G20, COP26, and, and other uh, intergovernmental bodies, and of course the EU. Uh, let's see legislation. Let's see policy that reflects the interrelationship between uh, people. Uh, and uh, and animals going forward. Indeed, the the case for systemic change has never been uh, stronger. Thank you so much, Steve, and best of luck on your new campaign. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. And if you would like to know more, please check out the following websites worldanimalprotection.org and euroforanimals.org and follow the hashtag and wildlife trade coming up to the G20 summit. Thanks for listening to Animals in Europe. You can find our podcast catalog on our website eurogroupforanimals.org. You can also subscribe to the Animals in Europe podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Join us next time as we build together a Europe that cares for animals.